1: Just text KPI to him at 727-888-2100. Text KPI to 727-888-2100 right now and claim your free step-by-step guide. Text KPI to 727-888-2100 to get the recognition you deserve and experience success as the go-to voice everyone listens to in your industry today.
2: Hey, welcome to the podcast. Uh, this show gives me the opportunity to talk to really interesting and world-class marketing copywriters, uh, people all over the world. In fact, uh, today I'm doing an interview with someone who is in Thailand as we speak, and that is with Mitch Miller, the co-owner of Opposed Media, uh, author of five books, and a copywriting guru to many, many people. Uh, Mitch, thank you for doing this. Thanks,
3: Bruce. Appreciate it, man.
2: So let's let's start with you and how you got started. Uh, where you're from? Um, was there something in your Uh, Upbringing that said, yeah, this kid's going to be a marketing copywriting guru. I know you. You grew up in in Canada. You were born in Edmonton, correct?
3: Yeah, I was born in Edmonton, and that's where I stayed until I was in my early 20s. And you know what? There, there actually was a seed of becoming very good at copywriting when I was young, but I didn't even really realize it till kind of recently when I went back for Christmas and my mom brought out these books that I had written in the first grade. I'd actually written full-on books that were had laminated covers. I illustrated my own covers. I named them. I had, I mean, there are terrible stories of course, <laughs> but, but I actually wrote full books when I was back in grade one. And then, you know, going forward a few years, I was always the top of the class uh, for spelling and grammar. And so I was always able to write. And, um, and, and so that I, you know, I could do the words. I've always understood the words. Um, there's some weird thing in my brain where I actually, I actually if you say a sentence to me, my brain plays it backwards at the same time, which makes no sense. And I actually know the alphabet backwards better than I do forwards and always have. It's just a
2: weird little glitch in my brain. Wow. Most kids in first grade can barely complete a sentence uh, and you're writing books. That's, that's really, really cool. Um, So talk about your early career. Where did you, how did you get started and how did you get to the point where you founded and, uh, and are now very successful with your company, Opposed Media? Right. So
3: it was, Man, it was quite the grind, let's just say, because I was a degenerate rebel uh, in rock bands until I was 21. So then I had a heart attack uh, when I was 21 from, as you can imagine, all sorts of different things that would uh, lend one to almost dying in a rock band. But uh, I decided that I wanted to do more with my life after that. I don't know if it scared me. I don't know if it woke me up, you know, hashtag woke or something. But um, I decided I wanted to do something more with my life but I was still completely clueless. So I, I didn't know what I was doing, but I knew that uh, I found Tony Robbins early on and Tony Robbins had interviewed a guy named Jay Abraham about marketing and it, it blew my mind. And I was obsessed with marketing from that moment forward. And then through discovering marketing, um, I'm on this quest for information, of self-help junkie marketing junkie, basically a knowledge junkie in all forms. I would, instead of having a job because I was too much of a, I had no work ethic, so I had to build that over a period of 10 years, but I had zero work ethic, So instead of getting a job, I would just sponge off my parents, and I would just spend my days at the library, and I'd pull five books. I'd be like, this economics book, this human behavior book, this business book, this um, science book, and I would just read five different books in, in a day, and I wouldn't read them fully, but I would be picking at all of them, and I would be trying to connect. My brain has the ability to connect different things together, so if I'm reading something on economics, I can... Um, you know, there's a piece something in quantum physics and I can relate that together. That's what gives me the ability to do a lot of metaphor and analogy work in my stories. And it's very hard to teach cause it just kind of comes to me. But anyways, I was on this quest dude and I just was obsessed with, um, with knowledge and, um, you know, it took me, it took me 12 years to figure this out. I went homeless when I was 26, I think it was in 2008. I was homeless for a little while cause I tried to start a bunch of businesses. they failed and I was too proud to ask my parents for money. And so, uh, um, but you know, so uh, there's all these different businesses and I tried all these things and I've been obsessed with copywriting and marketing, um, from, from the beginning of me finding this stuff out in like 2004, I guess you could say I found all this stuff out and it's interesting because like, this is interesting, Bruce. It's like back in 2008, like when I went homeless, I had all the knowledge, right? Like all the secrets, like all the books, like I had all that shit. But I couldn't implement any of it more than two steps in because I was still an idiot, mm-hmm. and so I, I was still me. So I had to, I had to like go through this painful process of always trying to do these quick money-making tips and hacks and trying to like bullshit my way into money, and, and you know having it drummed into me that, no, you have to change as a person and become a, 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 a capable human. And so I had to develop work ethic, I had to develop personal responsibility. And man, that stuff sucks. Like I wish I didn't have personal responsibility. I'd like to just lay around like a dog <laughs> and, and, just, and just sponge off somebody. but you know if you if you want to get things done, you have to um, you know take that responsibility so anyways the where it came with the copywriting was uh, I realized that I was really good with copywriting, and I also realized how important it was and how it's like the glue that holds the world together it's like it's It's so important that our civilization is based around stories. you know religion holds us together. there's nothing but stories, it's a narrative. Um, and so I realized that I wanted to master words because I have this natural propensity or whatever it is in me to be able to do that. So, um, I got good fast, man, just by like, cause I had a lot of it natural. So I just, once I got rolling, um, it just kind of came to me. And, um, and so even though I teach it to people, I, I do tell people quite a bit that like, if you want to be like anyone can write copy that's good enough to sell your offer. Let's not bullshit ourselves. But not everybody can be that super charismatic, witty metaphor, crazy analogy. Like, you know, analogies come to me faster than my dog when I'm cooking in the kitchen. So it's like, you can't, you don't, but you don't have to say that shit to sell something. And that's just the, that's just the, the, the salt and pepper. So I tell people that don't try to be like your favorite copywriter. Um, just try to be yourself and make sure that you hit the solid principles of copywriting.
2: What was your, you said you, you realized you were, you were good at this. What was your aha moment? What did you write something specific, right? In particular, did you work on a specific piece of copy or was it just something in general where you said, holy crap, I'm good at this?
3: Well, it, it, it was mostly seeing, like I would, I would, I would do a copywriting course, a John Carlton book, or a Gary Halbert seminar that I would torrent or pirate because I didn't have the money to pay for it or something. And I would go through this and I would see good copy obviously from these guys, I would see their, their sales letters. And I would also, but then I would, I would see all the other copy that's written online. And I would be like, this is not good. Like I could tear it apart. I'm like, this is weak. This is sloppy. This is, he's saying the same fucking thing three times in a row. What the the hell's going on? Like he could have said that in three words. It's like, why did he use that analogy? That's so weak. And so I started seeing these I just, it it all looks so bad to me. And then I was like, but then I started writing and then I realized, Oh, I'm sloppy too, even though I know the right thing to do. So then I started working on it. And you know, I, when I had a landscaping company before I started this, um, advertising marketing kind of, uh, agency thing, like whatever we got going on, I can barely even categorize it. But when I was in the landscaping business, I had to get clients. So I'd write ads and then in the classified to get myself clients and man, I could get those to pull. I can get the phone to ring like crazy. And so I realized at that point, like, okay, like I I kind of understand that market to message match and that, and just kind of how to get people to do, to do take action. But it wasn't until like 2014 or 2015, we started having bigger wins when we started, you know, we did one uh, campaign that went, we took this company from 178 grand a month to 1.6 million a month in four months based off of one campaign. It was one sales letter with some follow-up and stuff. And, um, you do a few of those, especially when you're, and you do them underpaid Hmm. and you real quickly start to like have some, uh, faith in yourself. So even though, you know, you're good until you get those results, man, you don't really know.
2: Um, you, you talk about not, you know, not knowing until you, until you, until you really know, not everything goes perfectly along the way, you know, even, you know, giant companies, you know, stumble and make mistakes. So talk to me about, is there, is there something you did, whether it was a, a campaign for a client or something you did for yourself or something where it, eh, it, it was a clunker and you said, well, that didn't work. Um, but you learned from it.
3: Yeah. Yeah. Un- unfortunately, most of what I write is clunkers until yeah. like the second or third iteration. Um, now that I only write for myself, um, I can screw up in private and use my own money it's kind of screw everything up. But, but back in the day, man, like if something doesn't work, it's like, it, I feel bad because the client, you know, the, the client's paying money to test something. Um, and it fails of course. And then you have to use that data to, to refocus. And so that's why it's important to pick the right clients <laughs> so that they understand that it's, it's a, it's always a work in progress and they have to kind of trust that you're not a complete, uh, a, a complete moron and you can make those changes to get there. But yeah, man, there's been certain, like, there's markets that I should never have gone into. I got into, uh, I don't do well in, um, finance and things like that. So I, so I started selling, uh, did some campaigns for financial advisors and things like that and completely bombed them. I just did so bad because, um, I'm, you know, and especially at that time, I couldn't manage my money where shit. So it was like, I'm the furthest from the, uh, understanding the buyer of financial advisor stuff because i'm a, i'm am i'm like a, a kid who's not even caring about that at the point at that point and i'm also the furthest away from the voice of somebody who is an expert in that stuff so it's like i'm not i'm not the market and i'm not the you know the the business i'm i'm i'm, I'm nothing i don't know any of these voices and so i couldn't piece anything they couldn't piece a, a message and market match to, to save my life and so that, that was kind of the biggest thing was like choose uh, choose markets that you understand mm-hmm.
2: That's funny because uh, here, here with with us at Market Domination, that happens to be one of our niches is the financial advisor market, and it's it's okay. something that we we do well because because we know it. My uh, Seth Green was uh, and still is a financial advisor, so uh, so it's an area that he he started in. But um, but you you got you're right. You you've got to learn your market. You got to know what your market is, who's your audience, and then what the message is to reach them. And the words just don't spew out without doing some homework. Um, so talk to me about your your research project process. You said you're, you're really only writing for yourself now. So you know, yourself, you know, you know, the client, but when you were writing for others, um, how much time was spent on research versus the actual writing? Did it vary depending on the, on the the market, on the client?
3: Um, it it, it varied depending on my mood, which is terrible, which Mm -hmm. is why a lot of campaigns failed. Mm-hmm. why I shouldn't have been in the financial advisor space because like, obviously there's, there's a, there's a formula to crack there. And if I just decide to take on a client just cause I want some money or just want to jump into multiple niches, then I'm really just, it's, it's impossible to, unless that's the singular client, you're going to sit there and focus for months on that market, trying to crack it and research it. You're just setting yourself up for failure. So, you know, now I just do content and, and sales off the top of my head for my own stuff. Um, I don't have to do my life is research anyway, um, but to answer your question, when I was writing for other people, I spent 80% of my time researching and, and what I call like dumping data onto a giant document, like facts, statistics, figures, stories, pieces, ideas, and just one giant document. Um, and that 80% is also figuring out that angle or like what the, some people call the big idea, but for me, it's like the, the, the angle. Uh, and, um, and, and it's like. That was very little time is spent writing because I'll take the 80% just grabbing all this, all the ammo, so to speak, and putting it in a giant document. And then I'm also going to spend time rearranging that ammo in some sort of framework and order that makes sense. So there's some semblance of a pitch, some sort of rough pitch. And then I try to connect, um, to connect those pieces together once it's in a general order. And then I, and then I do kind of the last 10% which still takes 12 hours. Uh, generally, it's like one full long uh, ass day. But that last 10% is generally that, that, that stuff that people try to do first, that massaging and the, you know, connecting and making sure everything is, you know, good and all that.
2: Is, I, an indication of how good you are at this, by the way, is the fact that twice now, <clears throat> you've actually, as you've answered that question I've asked, you've also answered a question I was going to ask. So it's, it's, you were almost anticipating where I was going, so this, this is very good. Uh, we're on a Vulcan mind meld going here, which is kind of cool.
3: Oh, I love that.
2: That's um, cool. Uh, talk to me about what you what you think is good writing. What you when you see something, you talked earlier. <clears throat> excuse me, you talked earlier about you know you would see something, you would see it online or something, and you would say, well, that's really good or that really sucks. Um, what do you see in, in writing? What what makes it good? To you?
3: Hmm. What
2: okay, makes it great
3: so if we 're going to talk in general, then I would say what makes writing great to, to me, I guess you could say, and, and obviously i 'm going to try to go outside of that and, and give some advice too, but I would say makes number one makes people feel emotions, and I'd say the more intense, the better you know um, it, generally it 's you know positive emotions mm-hmm. um, g- generally speaking uh, and, and and humor and stuff. Um, I just did a post on my Facebook uh, yesterday about or a couple of days ago. About, uh, it was, a, it was a fake story, but I didn't tell anyone it was fake. I, 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 I said the story as if it really happened where I was at an important uh, uh, meeting of my girlfriends and I had to be on my best behavior and the guest brought out steak and the steak was too rare for me. And, um, I, I didn't want to be rude and, and, and eat the steak, uh, <laughs> and not eat, not eat the steak. So when she went to the kitchen, I saw an open window and I was like, here's my chance to pretend I ate it already. So I just saw the open window. So I took the steak and I frisbeed it and I threw it out the window. Um, but, but, I screwed up because the window was actually, uh, closed. It was just like the cleanest damn window you've ever seen. And so she hears the sound, she comes into the room and all she sees is like the steak that she cooked for us, just like sliding down the window. And, and anyway, so I did this whole story and then, uh, and then I revealed at the end that it was fake. And then I, then I actually listed down all the reasons why I believe it was a good story. And so one of them is it makes people feel emotions. The more intense, the better. It was also, um, descriptive enough to make people visualize or imagine themselves in the story. A lot of people either don't do that on purpose or they don't realize that you want to, you got to explain the, what's happening in a way that people can actually, uh, get into it enough and imagine themselves in the story, or at least at the very least visualize it. Um, the next would be, I'd say surprises and plot twists um, a lot of the unexpected, but then also I would say the unexpected that leads into something familiar because there are familiar narratives, right? There's the, uh, like everyone wants the good guy to win in the end. Right. It's like, if, if you go to see too many movies in the movie theater where it's, it's, um, it's like it, the bad guy wins, you, you leave there angry and you don't, you don't like the movie almost. It's, you, it's, it's, un, it's unsettled. It's like, you need the good guy to win. It's, um, or it may be, um, you know, the familiar, uh, you know, narrative is, uh, it's the, um, what do they call that? The 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 reluctant hero or something, where it's kind of like the Luke Skywalker in the latest one, where they had to pluck him off a, a cliffside alone because he's like, I don't want to go save the world, or or even Aquaman that I just watched. He's like, he's he's reluctantly having to save the world and he doesn't want to. And so so there's surprises and plot twists that are 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 embedded within the familiar narrative frameworks that we love so much. Um, and then I would say the last thing would be. Uh, well, there's a million things, but the last one I'll talk about would be the succinctness, which is like not going off on long tangents. Like you go off on tiny ones and come back as long as they make sense to, 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 anchor a point. But like people say the same thing multiple times or they, or they say things in too many, too much detail with too many tangents that you become like the grandfather telling a story about shopping for potatoes today. And then all of a sudden he's on a world war II story and you're like, damn it, grandpa, <laughs> you're talking about the potatoes and you're talking about world war two. So it's like getting to the point and sticking to it, like kind of like Jordan Belfort's straight line persuasion is all about st- staying to the po- sticking to the point.
2: And yet, yeah, I'll do I'll play devil's advocate there with you for a second because some of the most effective marketing copywriting is the long form letter, which can be you know seven, eight, seventeen pages. But if it holds yes. you through it and follows the right formula, long form will work but it has to it has to have that keeping you keeping you hooked the hook has to stay throughout
3: yes and that that's i'm glad you said that because when i do sales letters they're typically like 20 30 pages long i don't hold back man and 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 then I, and i'll i'll usually do 50 to 60 pages and i'll 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 carve it back and i'll be like oh shit it's still 30 but <laughs> but it's but it's still succinct and succinct doesn't have to mean short i guess that's a way cuz uh it, maybe that's a way to say it better but that brings us into what you said like the the as long as it as long as you remain on point to the big idea or to the to the main hook and like for me the big idea is like i, I don't even think of the big idea as what makes a campaign work i think um i always try to make sure that i know the market enough to know that the offer that i have is a match for them and that everything um Everything, uh, and, and the offer is obviously the, the, the problem you're solving the price, the terms, blah, 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 blah. But for the big idea, it's like, for me, I think about it. It's like, what's the angle that will get attention, captivate and sell in terms of a story. But the first thing that I think about is like, um, I want to know what is that one main thing that I want them to believe about what I'm offering to them. And then everything else that I write is supporting that claim, that one claim. So I learned this from Perry Belcher. He's like, what's that one thing you want them to believe? Because too many people make the mistake of they're presenting too many ideas. They open up too many ideas for discussion in the pitch for the prospect to have to then believe and they have to, and then for the, the, the writer to have to then support the more claims you make, the more support you have to write and come up to make, to support those claims. So if you can just make one claim, then you can anchor everything to making that one claim. And I'll give you a quick example. So we did a successful campaign. It was in the cryptocurrency space. We did over uh, was it a million, a million bucks, like 1.3 in just over a week with a single webinar. And I had a single idea to get across and just, it was just one and everything that else that I, that I wrote within that webinar was there to support and back up that one idea. And that was the, the big idea was um, big money is to be made right now. If you listen to our advice, but the window is closing real fast. And so that was the main, you know, that was the big idea that was, uh, you know, it's not nothing revolutionary, but it was, it was just there. And then everything was, uh, there to support that, uh, idea. And so, um, and if I had more than one main idea, then the, the pitch would get very muddy and people would, I would have to, it would just get very difficult. So that's how I always, I think of the big idea as like that one main thing that I want them to believe. And then I try to have all these different things to um, support it, whether it's facts, statistics, or or mini stories, or even one big story to wrap around that one main thing that I can use as a lead or as a big idea for attention-getting or something.
2: How did you come up with the name of your company, Opposed Media? What are you opposed to? Yeah, so Opposed
3: Media, I was in a punk band when I was uh, 18 years old. And we were called The Opposed and it was a punk band and it was The Opposed. It was opposed to the mainstream. It was opposed to your parents. It was opposed to society and social conditioning. And, uh, and, and I never even thought of that band until, and it was like 2014. and It was on my birthday, which is when I, I started the company. And, uh, I was in the car with my old friend. He was actually the singer of that band and we were, we were, you know, reminiscing and stuff. And he pulled out an old CD. It said The Opposed on it. I was like, The Opposed. I'm like, Opposed. I'm like, yes. <laughs> I'm like opposed media. And it was, and then our tagline at, at the time for our business was defy industry norms. And so what, what I mean by opposed media um, is that I'm opposed to uh, industry norms, the normal way of doing things. I'm opposed to not thinking I'm opposed to um, you know, the, if in a nutshell, social conditioning and blindly being a, a sheep and following the herd.
2: One of the things you offer um on your on your company's website is your uh, 130 point copywriting checklist. How did that come about? By the way, I think everyone that, should get that.
3: Thanks, Bruce. Um, that that came about as something that we were using. Um, I, I there was all these tiny little points that I had when I would when I would start to write something. I I didn't want to forget anything, and so I created this checklist. Um, only it was only a six month period when I started writing down a whole bunch of things. I'm like, okay, because I would my, my results for myself were inconsistent. And then I would look back and be like, ah, damn, I forgot that one thing Or it's like, how could I forget that? Like, did I really just forget that? Like how boneheaded am I? Mm-hmm. And so I was like, I was like, screw this. I'm like, I'm making a little checklist for myself. So I, I made a, I made a checklist for myself and I just kept adding to it, adding to it and adding to it. And, um, and I, and I just tried to make it as uh, big as possible uh, so I don't forget anything. And then when we decided, um, you know, we we're launching the website, actually, I said, damn, I'd be cool to give some, give everybody like this checklist. So then I went through it and I just, I, I, I took the document and then I just added more to it because I, I, there's a lot of things that I do subconsciously or others. Th- let's put this, way. there's things that I would never dare forget, but I can't assume those are the things that other people wouldn't forget. Mm-hmm. They're not like me. So I, I added to it and then, you know, then we made it into
2: a little PDF or whatnot. So, so the, the company and the website and everything have been around now for a couple of years. Um, it, we talked before we began the interview about the fact that you have trouble um, being found on Google because of your name, that, that the, mm-hmm. the other Mitch Miller, the one who's been dead for 20 years, the, the band <laughs> thing, along with Mitch guy, even though he's been, <laughs> been dead for 20 years, he still owns page one of Google. Um, right. So that would be a challenge for you um, as someone yeah. who shares that name, it's, it's funny, you mentioned that you got a musical background too. So you and Mitch Miller are actually, the other Mitch Miller are actually connected in a couple different ways. Although he's probably, you probably roll over in his grave if he heard punk music. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but so how do clients find you? How do you, how do you get your, yourself out there?
3: Well it's interesting so I created this little tiny bubble for myself so um I'm primarily market everything that I do on Facebook and what's actually weird is it's not my Facebook page it's my Facebook profile so for the last 5 years I've written content and and produced content multiple times a day for 5 years I've never missed a single day including Christmas in fact the only two days I missed were the two days I went to North Korea and they don't have internet there and so and and believe me I still tried um but I've done, so I've done like ruthless amounts of content to the point where I take every nine months, I take all my content and I make a book. I just put it into a book and uh, repurpose it or whatever. Um, but it's been primarily my my Facebook profile and it's actually a very small audience that I have. It's only 10,000 people, but it's the right 10,000 people. It's, it's industry leaders. It's, it's the right people. And, and what's interesting is this is an interesting statistic that we just found out last month was that out of my 10,000 person audience. 24% have bought something from me. They have purchased from me, which is uh, wow. as far as I know, that's insanity. It's small numbers, but the percentage is crazy. Mm-hmm. And so we've been able to build a seven figure business off my goddamn personal profile <laughs> uh, from, from, from me just pumping out content and making, making offers and such. And so we, you know, so that's, that's, that's how they find me. They find me on my personal Facebook profile. I duplicate everything I do on my profile and I, on my page, my uh, someone on our team, she will, uh, she'll just, whatever I post on profile goes onto the page because we just hired, uh, Dennis Yu's team to just, uh, blow our, take what I'm doing on this very small scale within Facebook profile and, and replicate that now out into the, into the world through the general Facebook land. So that's, that's the plan. Um, and then I have a YouTube channel, um, where, um, it's kind of underground, which is why i just talk about it. It's like, it's kind of underground, but I have like 200 different training videos on there. I have five, six hour seminars on different topics, going deep diving on copywriting and stuff. So if that's where the longer form content is because on Facebook, no, people have the attention span of a fucking ant. Uh, and then, and then our website, opposemedia.com, um, that gets some visits because people will Google that, but, uh, that's about it, man.
2: You mentioned your, your books. Um, there, I think there's five of them. Um, and you also have a podcast.
3: Uh, so I, I completely s- fell asleep on the podcast. I got about five uh, five episodes deep, and then i uh, i lost a I lost the motivation.
2: <laughs> oh man! Well, you got to get back into it because you're a great uh, interviewee, and I imagine you're just as uh, good as an interviewer. Uh, so you should you should get back into that. Um, Thank you. What's the best advice you've ever gotten?
3: Oh man damn, put me on the spot. Uh, Best advice I've ever gotten. Okay. This is going to sound weird. This is probably not the best advice I've ever gotten, but it's the best that I could think of off the top of my head. Uh, A friend of mine, Ryan Demchuk, and this was before, this is when I was trying to make it, but I was still a complete screw up. And uh, I still, uh, I didn't come to terms. I was still like uh, lying to people and I was stealing things and I was just, you know, not being good. And, um, he said to me, he said, Hey man, like we were working out one time in the gym. he said, I just thought of something. He's like, I realized how much of a piece of shit we are. And I said, I said, excuse me, speak for yourself, bro. Mm -hmm. And he's like, no, he's like, he's like, he's like, think about it. He's like, look at what we do. He's like, we're not good people. Like we, everybody thinks they're the hero of their own story, but what if you're actually the villain? And I was like, well, he's like, I think that we, uh, like, we should admit to ourselves that we're pieces of crap. And I was like no, this goes against all uh, self-help advice that I've ever gotten. You got to like love yourself and say that, you know, whatever. And, and, and he was like, no, no, just say like, and he, he it was uncomfortable. He almost like forced me to, to say that I'm a piece of crap and I had to repeat it out loud. And as much as I resisted that, it stuck with me for months and months, and it was actually a huge catalyst for me actually changing because it was like getting tr- getting real with my behavior and say, hey, no, like I said, you know what? I'm not a piece of crap, but I'm sure acting like one, and it's and it's my fault. And it was it was a it was an action. It was it was like a a piece of personal responsibility, like an advice of pers- to take personal responsibility for how I am seen towards others. Because if if I even if I don't believe I'm a piece of crap, deep down, it's like My results show that I am to the public. That's, they don't know who I am deep down. All they see is what my actions, if my actions are lying and being a bad person, that's what I am. You know, the meaning of your, the meaning of your communication is the result that you get. And so that was what he installed in me. And I, and whatever, for whatever reason that was, it just, it, it, it gave me this sense of, um, of I could I could I could when I'm, it's like a, it's like an alcoholic finally admitting he has a problem. And now he can be like, oh, now he can change it because he's not resisting it. And so a, a lot of self-help screws you up. And they're like, you know, they say they, they, they almost help you resist that longer. No, you're great. You're great. You're good. You like, it's almost like, you know, it's like, you're good girl. He's an asshole. You don't have to change You're perfect girl. And it's like, no girl, you got some issues. You need to sort out before you can find a good man. You need to admit it. <laughs> you don't want all your friends cheering you on. You don't want all the, all the Tony Robbins books cheering you on sometimes either. Sometimes you need to be like, oh yeah, I am, I am this. And accept that, and then that finally opens up a window to change or something.
2: That's that's really good advice. Um, you are a copywriting, you train other people, you consult for people. So yep. I'll take that advice question and flip it. What's the best advice you've ever given someone else?
3: Hmm. Um and, and if we're and if we're gonna try to relate it to copywriting, I would honestly say it's 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 the advice that I constantly give, which is um, if you want to become, uh, if you want to be great at selling your products and, and, and be good at marketing to your market, you, everybody's focused on, uh, on, on, um, like they're focused on the demographics and the psychographics of my, my client and, and they, and they want to know what are the, the pain, what are the pain points and what are their, whatever their dreams and their benefits and all of these things that go into typical market research. When my best piece of advice for people who want to get good at copywriting is to get good at understanding human behavior in general, and you'll and because they're, I I I, because the way I see it is all the demographics, the psychographics, all the all all that stuff that you need to kind of make that customer avatar. To me, that's only one half of the equation. That's what's going to get you rapport. That's what's going to uh, make them feel like you understand them and they're going to want to take your advice and be open to it. But I feel like the stuff that actually pulls the money out of the wallet, those are universal things. And like wanting to be a better father or, uh, quitting smoking so that you can see your, your grand, your grandkid grow up. It's like, those are universal, man. You don't need to leak. So, so my, my point is that I feel like everybody should really take, uh, try to understand human behavior and human motivation in general. And then you can use, then you can, when you go to the specifics, you will understand how to sell a lot better.
2: Good advice. Last question. You have um, had an interesting career to this point. You've uh, made a few left turns or or along the way from a rock band and 21 year old kid having a heart attack and punk band and, homelessness and and i mean it's you it, you even though you're canadian you've lived the american dream here <laughs> um, so so now here you are the the company's doing well you're making good money you're out there yeah. where do you go from here where do you see yourself 5 years from now can you uh, how big can this thing get can you become the mitch miller who owns page 1 of, of google like mm. the other guy yeah,
3: yeah thanks for asking absolutely i can and i that's something that i battled with um, but a couple of years ago, I've kind of, un, I've unhinged those, 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 uh, maybe limiting beliefs. And, um, and I, I believe that's like the next five years are going to get crazy because every year I believe in 2018, we did, uh, was it 13 live events and, and we have had, we do, we do, we do events every year in different countries. Like, uh, we did one in Puerto Rico where we had a hundred people come out to learn my Facebook, uh, Facebook, uh, marketing secrets. We have an event here at my house next month where we have, uh, already 63 people who are flying from all over the world to learn from us. And, and so events are my, are my thing. That's where I really, uh, I really shine because like in person you can help. And I, I love that. And so, um, the next five years are all about, um, doing, um, nonstop events and workshops. And, um, there's no stopping like what I'm, I've barely reached the surface of scratch the surface of what I'm, I'm doing. And I get, I get letters, man, uh, or messages almost every sing, like virtually every single day from multiple people saying how much my, my content has changed their lives. And I'm not saying anything new, but I'm just saying it in maybe with, with, you know, with intensity and emotion and, uh, but, but also, in, in, I'm packaging it up with metaphors and analogies that they can actually understand. And for the first time in, the, in their lives, some of this advice actually sinks in and they use it. I've had uh, at least a message every two, two to three weeks where somebody says that they were thinking of committing suicide. And now, and, 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 and it's like, it's some deep stuff. And we post those up on our website, um, from time to time. And we keep, we keep, and, and I, I always post those ones on our, on, I block the names out and stuff and I ask their permission, but, um, this happens on a regular basis. And I'm like, shit, man, we're doing something deeper than just teaching marketing strategy or teaching copywriting. Um, really what we're doing is we're, we're giving people, uh, you know, maybe a hope of a better life and they can become that person they really want to, and they can get out of their shell and. They don't have to follow the herd, and they can make something of themselves. So, I feel like I've chosen to do—I've chosen to wrap everything that I do, the marketing, the copywriting, the business strategy—I wrap it in this um, in this uh, packaging of deeper uh, change. And it's my own weird brand of self-help, where I'm, I swear a lot. I'm, I'm I'm dark. It's dark humor and offensive stuff. It's almost like this, like the dark stand-up comedians and stuff. And so to make, to make a long story short, it's just, um, it's really just almost my weird twisted version of self-help that's taught through helping people, uh, in their business.
2: Perfect. Perfect. That's a great way to wrap this up. Uh, thank you for doing this. We've been talking to Mitch Miller, uh, co-owner of opposed media, go to opposedmedia.com and check it out. Uh, and, uh, Check out, can, can anyone just friend you on Facebook so they can see your profile?
3: Uh, you, you can follow, which actually has the same thing as a, okay. the same things as friends
2: now. Perfect, well let's, let's check out Mitch's constant contact <laughs> uh, and content on, on <laughs> Facebook and, uh, and let's all uh, help him take over from the other Mitch Miller. Thanks for doing this.
1: <laughs> Thanks Bruce, appreciate you man. Do you need money to fund your idea, product or service?